Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Coming up on the show today, we're going to have plenty of analysis of what happened in Iowa last night. The first official votes cast in the 2024 presidential election. Therefore, the poll jar is off limits today. We, we made the call that the poll jar, when we're talking in the context of breaking down the actual games, like the box score and what people were predicting and, you know, before the game, that in that context, getting into the nitty gritty and minutia of that is perfectly fine. It's the endless day after day slobbering over things that have yet to occur. That's what we're kind of sick of, right? But in this case, we got a game. We got a box score. We had, you know, we had a pregame breakdown to compare to what actually happened in the game. So now we go to work. Fair? All right. So the poll jar off limits today. So we're going to break, uh, break all that stuff down, pour through it all. Um, next hour, is when we're going to get into the hardcore anal- analysis of, uh, of the data that happened in Iowa and what we do and don't think it means. And we're going to do that next hour because at the bottom of this hour, Larry Taunton is going to join us. Uh, he has volunteered to be our correspondent at the World Economic Forum in Davos. He is there now. And I, I knew it would be kind of awkward in the middle of like an Iowa caucus postscript and not even know what the results were going to be to say, Hey, let's take a break and bring in a guest. But I, I could not, when he, when Larry Kant DM'd me last week, I, I think I sent it over to you, Todd, mm-hmm. right away. And I said, I, I can't pass this up. Okay. I mean, is it the, is it really, cause you know, is it really, is it the systemic freak show? Like we like to show all the freak show stuff on the righty media, you know, but is, is that the whole thing? Is it like anything they're saying at all? is the whole thing like out of a left behind book basically <laughs> all right and so larry is there in davos and he is going to be our correspondent on uh what is going on uh with uh, those that are trying to usher in the kingdom of the antichrist and that's that's i'm not even tongue in cheek when i say that that's just not even satire it's not it's not parody literally trying to usher in the kingdom of the antichrist so uh, we'll talk to larry at the bottom of the hour and that's the reason why next hour when we can put it all in a complete and total um self-contained conversation we're going to get into uh the data and uh i'll do um one of the few things i do well in this life and uh break that all down and tell you what i think it does and doesn't mean that doesn't mean though that we are not going to break some of what's happened last night down right now we are but I kind of want us to take more of a, a bigger picture approach on what we thought we saw or didn't see uh, and, uh, and, and some of the things that are going to stick with us now that um, the circus has left town. It's always interesting driving around Iowa. You know, um, uh, the DeSantis campaign's victory or, or camp, uh, well, the, not victory celebration. That was the Trump campaign. Uh, it was the DeSantis campaign's watch party was at a hotel five minutes down the street from my house. And I mean, the place is just packed with media and everything else. And I drive by that hotel every day to come to work here. And now there's just the normal, you know, smattering of people there in the middle of the day. It's funny. These people live in our state, every one of these cycles, you know, uh, and then the next day life just goes back to normal. Like they were never here. (laughs) And so, um, we're going to talk about, uh, one of the things, some of the things we saw while the circus was here that stuck out to us. And then we'll get hardcore into the data 
um, and uh, and what that means moving forward. I, I do want to say this from the outset to make sure it's said from the jump. Congratulations uh, to the former president and his team. I mean, they... I mean, that was an impressive event. No question about it. Uh, They made a statement and it'll be a statement now that everybody else that wants to be the nominee instead of him will have to 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 reconcile with that because a statement was a strong statement was made last night for sure. So I wanted to make sure that we congratulated them right from the jump uh, because I'm sure, you know, because hey, the shoe were on the other foot. I'd be doing the same thing. I am sure there are a few um, very well-known Magadonians probably tuned in either live right now or on this podcast later on, right? So I want to make sure you guys, dude, there's no argument. Scoreboard doesn't win. So tip of the cap. If I had flowers, I'd give them to you, but I don't. So hopefully you'll accept the uh, proverbial metaphorical ones. All right. Before we share some of those uh, those big picture thoughts, a word from our friends over at Moink who are concerned that a majority of U.S. pork production, for example, comes from a company with Chinese ownership because pretty much everything in America comes from a company with Chinese ownership, it seems, unless it's local. And that's where Moink comes in. Moink delivers grass fed, grass finished beef and lamb pastured pork and chicken and sustainable wild caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door from the local farmer. Most uh, farmers farm like our grandparents, Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did. Uh, And as a result, the Moink meat tastes the way that it should because the family farm does it better. So the Moink difference is the difference that you can taste. Your meat that you choose, uh, what meat is delivered to you in every single box, like ribeyes to chicken breast to pork chops to salmon fillets and so much more. And you can cancel at any time. So keep American farming going. Signing up at moinkbox.com slash Steve right now. And listeners of this show and viewers too, uh, you get a free ground beef for a year. If you do that, free ground beef for a year. If you sign up at moinkbox.com slash Steve, it's one year of the best ground beef you're ever going to taste. M-O-I-N-K is the way that it's spelled. M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash Steve. That's moinkbox.com slash Steve. So because there's really only one story this morning that everybody pretty much has tuned in to hear what we're going to talk about, we all got together and decided to forego doing a montage today because a lot of what, Aaron, you would put in your montage are a lot of the data points that I'm going to talk about in great detail next hour. So it'd be kind of redundancy. So there's a there's a couple of things now that I made sure to lead off to give the former president and his team the tip of the cap that they earned. I mean, they it, it, it incredibly impressive to both cover the spread but meet those expectations at the exact same time. So congratulations to them. So I want to take a, a step back and a couple of things that uh, moving forward in this process that that um, on a personal level that uh, I will take with me and then on a cultural level that I am concerned about and I think all of you should be <clears throat> regardless of whom you were polling for in Iowa last night. So let's start with the personal thing. You know, in this in this process, um, what is this, 96, 2000, uh, 2008, 2012, 2006. This is my sixth one. So I count now my second, I'm on my second hand. It's my sixth one. You know, the last couple times we had one of these, I was confident it was the last one. I have no idea if it is or not. But um, over the course of the years doing this, you uh, you get access to people in the process 
that is just very unique. And um, you get to know a lot of these people. And even before our show grew and went national and continued to grow, you know, being a part of the Iowa caucus process gave me a network and a contact list that, you know, a show, a local show, and then, you know, a very modest at the time national show would normally not have access to. And that's because, you know, of this uh, little strip of land here called Iowa, um, where the first of the nation caucuses take place in the, the greatest country of all time. And, and you see people both um, at their best and their worst. They see me at, at my best and worst, too. I want to I, I wanna say this about, uh, about Ron and Casey DeSantis. The way that they treated people here in Iowa, all the way to the very end, even last night, the, the graciousness they demonstrated unparalleled never seen anything like it i just never have I man um i never once saw ron waver now if it happened i wasn't around and i wasn't around all the time so maybe it did but when i was around and these last few weeks i was around a lot um not you know i'll never be around a campaign again the way i was around the cruise campaign i worked for that campaign you know but I was around the last few weeks of this campaign. I, I was around this campaign like other campaigns I've supported. I got to be around the entire time. And I mean, I just, I never saw the guy get down one time. Not once. Never saw him get deterred once. Never saw Casey get deterred once, get down once. I mean, I, I've been around people who it was hard for them to keep their happy warrior on when things were going well. <laughs> All right. Let alone when you weren't sure how things were going to go. Um, in, in many respects, um, I came away from the Iowa caucus process more impressed with Ron DeSantis than just watching him from afar. And, and it's because watching him from afar, I didn't know him, didn't really know what made him tick. You guys remember, you go back to August, how anxious I was to finally have that private sit down with him because, you know, we all sat here watching what he was doing in Florida for a couple of years. We were like, okay, I mean, we got to know what is, what's, what's driving this guy. Cause it's, cause his, what he's done in Florida is basically the, the manifestation and fulfillment of the entire conservative media industry, our entire lives. It, it's, it's literally like he is, you know, just running that playbook and you've seen the results. Right. And so, um, it is, that's just who the guy is. That's just who he is. He's just, it's just missional. It's absolutely missional for him and Casey. There's nothing else there. You're not missing anything. You're, you're just not, man. And I, I can't tell you that that's always the case with when you get a chance to see people up close and personal here in Iowa. So, because it's just not always the case with people in general. You know, we're not perfect. And they're not. I'm, I'm sure there were things I wasn't privy to and didn't see, um, but the way that they treated Iowans from the beginning all the way to the end, and I, the way I watched them treat the people around them, their staff, everything else, I mean, I was just, I was just incredibly impressed, man. And I think sometimes we forget that we're all human and that we're not robots, you know, we're not, um, you know, 
Fox News opinion dynamic poll numbers. We're human beings. And I forget that too. And uh, I wanted to make sure that that was, that was stated. They're just, they're just genuinely decent people is the best way I would put it. They're just genuinely decent people. And if he wasn't a governor of the, the largest swing state in the union, what is it, the 12th or 13th largest economy in the world, if he wasn't the governor of that and you met these guys, you would just think, oh, yeah, you know, we're just going to have a beer and go watch a football game and hang out and just, just regular people, regular Jet X or parents. There's just, there's nothing more there. There's, you know, I, somebody, I got to know somebody uh, the other night who has known Ron for a long time. Uh, and he said to me, um, Ron has uh, ambition, but he's not ambitious. Meaning that his ambition is just his, you know, missional, what he, what he thinks needs to happen. It's not about, it's really not about him. And frankly, that's to his detriment at times as a candidate. Uh, and moving forward in this race, you know, they're going to need to, he's going to need to make it about him a little bit more often. You know, you have to learn how to, there's, there, it's clear there has to be some level of, 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 of sizzle, you know, style. And I said from the beginning, I was very fascinated to see how they were going to pull off the, the stagecraft aspect of politics. You know, um, with, with Trump, you know, the stagecraft is going to land. You're not so, so it's the statescraft that you're, you know, is a flip of the coin. DeSantis is the exact opposite. You know, there's, there's not a question that comes out of the debate that you're sitting around thinking, oh, no, not that one. That's where we're going to blow it. That never happens. It's the, it's the stagecraft that you're wondering, are they going to nail that? And they're just regular, decent people, man, who love America. There's nothing more. I can tell you this. There is nothing more to Ron and Casey DeSantis than that. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's not always the case. So I wanted to say that. On a, on a broader level, Something occurred last night that I think we all need to be concerned about. And hey, I, I get it. You know, I could go back to, you know, our playoff win that my Lions had against the Rams. There was a play where it looked like Matthew Stafford got concussed. That should have been a personal foul. I think you and I were talking about it yeah. yesterday, Todd, right? Yeah. And, and it should have been a personal foul on my team. And that might have been a penalty that might have lost us the game, frankly. Okay. Because the Rams would have gotten the ball back and we weren't stopping them a lot. And, there, and, but, but at the time, I didn't think about it, and I, I, it didn't bother me, because over the years, my team, what, uh, prior to Dan Campbell, what did I always say the Detroit Lions existed for? To, to kick their uh, fans in the balls at the most absolute most painful time, and then to clarify obscure NFL rules. Right? <laughs> think of how many NFL rules controversies over the years that the Detroit Lions have been at the center of. Like the whole thing that we've been doing for the last 10 years, what's a catch? Mm-hmm. What team started that? We did. Okay. So in the, in the moment, you know, in the moment, I'm like, I don't care that we got away with a personal foul. Look how many times we've, 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 been, we've been victimized by obscure NFL rules that went against us for a generation, right? You don't think about that at the time until maybe I'll think about it this week when that happens with the Jared Goff against Tampa Bay and he gets concussed and there's no flag. You know what I'm saying? Then you're like, hey, you know, then you forget that last week, you know, you got, you got the favorable bounce there. All right. So I understand why a lot of the, 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 a lot of Trump Twitter was, you know, belly laughing that that ap and fox news and cnn 
I, it was funny. Somebody tweeted at me t- this morning. Steve, CNN called it even before Fox. I'm like, guys, there's literally, well, only Nikki Haley voters are sitting in a caucus site getting CNN updates to their phone. Like the, the, the Iowa Republicans that the three of us hang with, you know, anybody that's getting CNN updates on their phone? I don't. I don't even I don't even know that Iowans know what channel CNN is on. Like if they had the direct TV, what channel is CNN? I don't even know if they're what it is. So it doesn't matter what CNN was saying. Okay. It does matter though, that a bunch of us last night before the voting ever took place in many places, we're getting Fox news alerts that this thing is already over and AP had their vote cast and everything else. And you know, when the final results were in, they over, they inflated Trump's, I think they said he's gonna get 56. I mean, when you're over 50, who cares if it's 51, 59, 58? I mean, it's, that's an impressive number. Doesn't matter where it is, right? Okay. So, but that's not the point. I'm warning you now, okay? Because what you thought was funny last night was a beta test. Notice they're not doing exit polls now, they're entrance polls. Well, we have our entrance polls. And we have AP called it their VCAST, which sounds a hell of a lot to me like VSAFE from the NIH and the CDC. They don't want to let you see. You know what I'm saying? So, and they, and the, the most activity my phone has received this entire caucus process was last night from activists and people around the state, some of whom I've not even seen or, or heard from in years who still had my number, sending me texts frantically. We haven't even voted here yet. What is going on? I know, Aaron, you tech, you tweeted this out last night, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I know you think it's funny now. I don't blame you. It's the heat of the moment. We're in a competition with each other. I get it. That's why I use the analogy like I didn't care that they missed the flag on Matthew Stafford's personal foul because it was to my benefit in the moment. I only care when the rules go against me when it goes against me. Okay? I get that. I totally get it. All right? But if you don't think they're going to pull this again in 294 days, you got another, to quote the great, pro, the great prophets at Judas Priest, you got another thing coming. Let me give you an example. And this is, again, something all of us, regardless of who you were polling for last night, and I'm guessing in this audience, it's, it's mostly Trump and DeSantis with a little Vivek and none of Nikki would be my guess, or very little of it. Georgia, what did Biden win that? Well, I'm sorry. Biden was certified about 11,000 votes, I think it was in Georgia, or 13. It was somewhere in the, in, in, it was some low number, right? 294 days today, you're sitting in line. Long line, waiting to vote in suburban Georgia. You got kids, you know, you, that came home from school. You got to feed and everything else, okay? It's a weeknight, right? And you're in this long line to vote. Fox News alert. Joe Kamala Newsom has won Georgia. How many people get up and say, you know, well, I guess one of my, I'm counting heads. Look how far back in the line I am. I got stuff to do. I got my kids are texting me. I got kids homesick. I'm going home. Well, when we're talking about a must win state that was decided, decided by 11, 12, 13,000 votes in, in, in a, 10 million person sample that's not that many people what, what what these forces do 
is they just do their agenda. And then they, they realize once it's done, you can't do anything about it. And they just let it sit for a while. So it's normalized. And now it is what it is. There's nothing we can do about it. What they did last night is normalize a process where they can call elections before they've occurred, guys. Before they've occurred. And if you think 294 days from today, all right, if I was in the indication, you know, I don't know how many more friends I have left that like to hang out in their free time at Mar-a-Lago, but I do still have a few. If you think 294 days from today, man, they're not, mount up. In the general with this, I don't know what to tell you. I wonder sometimes, you know, do you even stop the steal, bro? Do, do you even, you know, elections are not fortified and safe and secure, bro? You bet your ass they're going to do this. Absolutely. You bet your ass you are. Or they are. And that is very, I'm very discomforted by that. So even, and, 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 and I said a little bit about it last night and then I let it go because I'm like, well, I want to make sure some of this isn't my own butt hurt. You know what I'm saying? Because it was my guy. Okay, cool. So I slept on it. I got up this morning and, you know, jumped almost, you know, I barely got up, jumped because I was up till over 1 a.m. going through the results last night. Got on with Glenn Beck this morning. I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And like the first thing that popped into my head was this, which tells me, yeah, I am really bothered by this beyond my own butthurt on, on that it was against my guy. They will weaponize this against us. Mark my words. That was a terrible precedent set last night. So we, we went from we're going to call elections right after the polls closed. Then we're going to call elections while the polls are open. Now we're going to call them before they happen. Come on, man. That's no. And I think that was a terrible precedent that was set last night. It's just everybody's totes cool with it because it was our guy and we won by 30. Okay. Just remember, it ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. I think we should all be very concerned about that as a trend moving forward. All right, those are the couple big things that uh, I wanted to touch on. The floor now, gentlemen, belongs to the two of you. Well, uh, uh, the status quo is the status quo till it isn't anymore, and it's not anymore in Iowa. I was uh, pretty good at this when I worked at the uh, Des Moines Register uh, that my uh, colleagues knew that I supported uh, Ron DeSantis, no, excuse me, um, Rick Santorum. No shot. He's got no shot, no shot, no shot. I didn't do it just because. I looked at the rest of the field. I thought, There's, this is how Iowa works. Also, be the internals there, because I knew who the editor and I knew who the publisher were at the time, I actually told them, you know, there's a chance that this newspaper, instead of endorsing Barack Obama, is going to endorse Mitt Romney. I probably don't even know or remember that happened. That actually happened. Because those two were just centrists. Uh, and they got a ton of blowback for it. But it happened. So I paid attention. This is uh, the, how internals in Iowa work, how people work. Which is why I bet, I mean, I, I, I absolutely thought there was a chance Ron DeSantis wasn't going to win. But I've been consistent. He's... Uh, He's right there 
take him for a long time because this is the kind of guy who Iowa has got behind in the past. The fact that not only that they didn't, but but by this, I this is this is Iowa has decided to go in multiple different directions. There's a part of Iowa that never cared about my polls or the show before. Oh, they very much care. They are in show business now. They love it. And then there's another part that I think that has just gone away and gone pre-1980 moral majority and said, yeah, this is, we are not of this world. Uh, my wife at the caucus last night, uh, when I asked her her observations uh, uh, on the way home, she's n- not big into you know politics. She, she knows what's going on. Um, but in terms of the game and all that, she, the day by day, but she just... She, people were uh, coming up, and I gave a speech on DeSantis's behalf as well. And then uh, several fans of the show came up afterwards to talk. But then several of the people who voted for Trump came up and talked with uh, both of us for a while. And my wife just said, "There's, there's nothing you can say to them. This isn't a consideration about issues or anything. There's no weighing and measuring like that." And she said that with a level of conviction, like she does this every single day. She's absolutely right. There's a, they, they, they are fans of the NBC. Sh- and I tried to make this point. But they, they're fans of um, you're fired. They're fans of um, him, him just being that boss in their living room. And they're, they're, ride, or, they're ride or die. So, here we are again. Uh, as it applies to Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, we're going to have to all make a decision about what that means in Donald Trump uh, uh, in the future. And that doesn't need to happen that day. That's what I mean. Here we are again, because we've done this show did this and many of you did this in 2016. As it applies to Ron DeSantis, my advice would be what I, I said a long time ago. I, I, I mean, I second everything what Steve said. But I, I would advise him get out now, you, you, not because not to unite the party, not to help Donald Trump. No, you know, for you and your family, you you don't owe us anything more. Yeah, I, I would get out right now. As it applies to Nikki Haley, I th- I think she's going to be relevant all the way to the end. They are going to the system is going to try to necromance her just like they did Joe Biden. She could be, end up being at the end of this the president of the United States. Not, not not because we're all going to get behind her, because there are forces at work. And it, it, this goes directly to what Steve said about what the media did. I mean, the guy from AP that was at my precinct last night, he seemed like a a, a, a decent dude. He treat, treated everybody with respect. There were no condescending questions. I talked with him and he said, um, wow, I can't believe the media called it like that. He's an AP reporter. Mm-hmm. The system is going to do some nasty things. If you, Nikki Haley could end up being president of the United States. Aaron? You know, um, it was interesting, kind of the bookends of this process. I, uh, I, I attended Ron DeSantis's official um, Iowa announcements back, what was that, late May, early June, and um, sat, happened to sat, sit by um, a couple, one of whom was a, a listener to the show, Last night at my caucus location, I just went over and stood because it was standing room only and just happened to stand by a couple of uh, listeners to the show, Eric 
and uh, Brandy. Uh, shout out to them. And I go back to uh, the first couple that I that I mentioned, and uh, we we talked about what attracted us to Ron DeSantis, and it's this: we're going to do what's right. We're going to ask for support, and we're going to let the chips fall where they where they may. I don't regret. Um, I don't regret a minute of any of this support for Ron DeSantis at all. Um, he's still in the race, and he's still going to keep going. And I would actually tell him to you know stay in as long as he would like to. Uh, this is such a volatile process, and it's going to be such a volatile process. You never know what could happen. Um, but ultimately, the chips fell in a place that. We were hoping not. Uh, we were hoping they would not. But you just have to do the next best thing, the next right thing. And that's what I saw from this entire process from Ron DeSantis. That's what I saw from uh, the vast majority of his supporters who are really, really great people. Um, and I'm, I, I feel, um, feel blessed to have gotten to know a few of them as well. So tip of the hat to, to those folks. And I'll just say this. I slept well last night. I really did. I actually oh, I did one. too. Once I finally got to sleep, yeah. <laughs> once I, uh, I, I, I had one of the best nights of sleep in actually quite a while because we've been talking about we're going to get answers. We're going to get answers. We got, we got answers. Them. Yep. Uh, didn't like them, but we got them. So we just have to deal with uh, what that means from here on out. That's exactly where I'm at. It, uh, my vote for Ron DeSantis last night. It's the most. It's the vote I'm the most proud of since we vote since I voted to get rid of those judges in Iowa back in 2010. That's a good vote. That So, yeah. So, I'm good. And people feel differently here in Iowa. I get it. I respect that. You know, the people have spoken. We'll have more to say about this next hour. We'll go more into the data then. When we come back, though, what the hell is going on in Davos? We'll find out. Here on the Steve Day Show, and it is powered by our friends, some of our best friends, our friends over at Preborn, the outstanding pro-life ministry. And last year, because of you, over 58,000 babies were saved. So thank you to all who made saving those babies possible with your tax-deductible donations. Here are a couple of the success stories. Antoinette found out she was pregnant. She was in a bad place. She didn't know how she could raise a child on her own. She ended up searching for an abortion clinic, and the Lord led her to preborn clinic instead. That's where she met her baby for the first time via an ultrasound. And when she heard her baby's heartbeat, she broke down. She cried. The, the nurse reminded her that babies are a blessing from God. So she chose life, and then she gave her daughter a very cool name, Treasure because that daughter is a gift from God. Just one of the success stories last year from preborn, because even with Bidenflation, man, it only cost about 28 bucks for an ultrasound that has about 80% odds of saving a life. That's what preborn has found over the years is the rate of women who, when they are, hear that heartbeat, when they feel it, you know, they end up not going through with killing their child and, and committing a sin that they'll end up regretting uh, the rest of their lives. 
So if you want to be a part of their next success story, here's all you need to do. Uh, just dial pound 250 on your mobile phone and, uh, and uh, with the keyword baby. Pound 250 on your mobile phone with the keyword baby or just do what our family does when we donate. Just go to preborn.com slash Steve. That's preborn.com slash Steve. Well, every time I look at uh, our, our guest today's Twitter feed, I, I, I'm reminded of, uh, although... Um, the worldview that uh, that he is promoting is a, is a, a smidge different uh, than what Quentin Tarantino was talking about in Pulp Fiction. But the the line where Samuel L. Jackson's character says, I'm going to walk the earth. Remember that time? I'm going to walk the earth. Oh, yeah. Right. Love it. That is essentially what Larry Alex Taunton does. He's, he's basically a world traveler uh, that, that documents what's going on around the globe, particularly from a, a worldview standpoint, and writes about it in a lot of uh, national publications from around the country. He texted me yesterday or last week and just made me an offer I couldn't refuse. I, I, I'm like, yes, we have to do this uh, because he joins us now. Larry, are you in Davos right now? I am. Well, first of all, welcome to the Blaze, brother. It is good to have you back. It has been too long. All right. So you are in Davos for the World Economic Forum. Why? You know, I... I think it's very important, Steve, that we keep an eye on the global elites and their agenda and what they're up to. And roughly 70% of the World Economic Forum is online. So, you know, you or anybody else could watch it from home. But there's an awful lot that takes place, you know, like in almost any conference, the real conversations are taking place in the restaurants and the coffee shops and the the lobbies of the hotel. And those are the conversations that really interest me. I want to start with something I brought up a little while ago. We have, and and we do the same thing, you know, we, we kind of have um, played some of the more obnoxious and frankly, we are legit trying to usher in the kingdom of the Antichrist kind of clips from this gang, okay, on the right for the last few years. It's uh, Yuri, uh, what's his name, is, I mean, that's, he is literally like a smarter Leon Fortunato from the Left Behind books, okay? I mean, this stuff is just like, wow, you know? How much of that is is the entirety of this event, Larry? It, is, are we taking things out of context? Are we finding like one wing here? of this group and, and, you know, embellishing it, or is it absolutely the freak show systemically, comprehensively that we fear? You know, that's actually a really excellent question and one that's difficult to answer for this reason. Yes, it is a freak show, but they're very good at hiding the freakish part of the show. And they do that by surrounding it with a lot of um, feel good and do good kind of conversations. For instance, today, I don't pay the absurd fees that it, it costs to go to the WEF. And I mean, we're talking tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars to attend. I just simply walk in to places. And today I crashed a conversation with former British Prime Minister Theresa May, and she was talking about human trafficking, and she was talking about it with the former Prime Minister of Portugal and with royalty and this kind of thing. And uh, there would be nothing that she said in that conversation that you would strongly object to. I mean, their their aims all sounded very good, uh, but the reality is, as I pointed out to Miss May in a conversation with her afterwards, is that they're not doing any of it. And it's, in other words, the WEF, they 
they, they, they hide their agenda by surrounding it with all of these other conversations on, on, on things that they're, you know, that almost nobody would object to, but that really isn't what they're about. Mm -hmm. Last year, Brian Kemp went to this event and Kevin Roberts, uh, the governor of Georgia, who until election night 2020 had almost a, you know, had one of the best records of any Republican uh, governor in the country. And then with that election and everything that's gone on since and the special election, you know, there's kind of a mixed bag with him. But but then he decided to go to Davos last year and said, hey, you know, I might be able to uh, bargain with these people. And I'm like, man, if you're trying to rehabilitate your image, I don't know that hopping on a plane and you know, trying to negotiate uh, with the, uh, the the kingdoms of this world there in Davos is the way to do it. Uh, is there, you know, is there a remnant there? If, if Are there people there that people like you and I, that in, in, let me rephrase that, in, in places of influence there, not, not in attendance, are there people within the World Economic Forum that if we presented them legit data and, and a legit premise and application of what we believe, would give us an honest hearing? I think the answer to that is probably yes. I met a couple of them at lunch today. Um, as in in I, positions of influence there, not just in attendance, but in positions of influence there? Uh, um, probably not at the highest levels. Um, mm -hmm. The WEF at the highest levels, you're really talking about individuals who are sold out on their primary agenda, which is depopulation. I mm -hmm. mean, that really is, is what they're about and establishing a Malthusian unified. ethics basically is what we're talking about. I, exactly. Yeah. But there are others who are here who, uh, who are just trying to sell a product or they're trying to, um, you know, engage in, as I say, some of the, the, the do good aspects of this, but you got to think of the world economic forum as, as kind of the Oscars for globalists. I mean, everybody <laughs> who is anybody who is here and they all want to be seen on the, uh, the red carpet and they, they all want their time on the podium, but it is, you know, it was, it was interesting. These guys that I was talking to at lunch today, I said, you know, this whole thing kind of reminds me of sort of a, a bad church, you know, where there's all these wonderful phrases of the things that they're going to do, but there's a disconnect between that and the reality of mm -hmm. what they actually are. So for instance, last year's theme was, uh, you know, finding unity in a fragmented world. I mean, who's going to object to that? But then when you get right down to it, Steve, about the way they see themselves doing it is through digital IDs, it's through, uh, through artificial intelligence, it is through, uh, um, you know, ending industrial farming, uh, open borders. I mean, you name it. I mean, the, the agenda itself, the core agenda is a wicked one. Mm. So this year, Kevin Roberts, the head of Heritage, is going over there. And, and there have been, unfortunately, the, in the last, you know, during the course of my career over the last 15, 18 years, there's been some people in charge of Heritage that probably would have felt right at home at the World Economic Forum, sadly. Uh, not necessarily Kevin. I mean, he's certainly much more of a movement guy on the right. And he actually put out a preemptive statement of what he plans to say when he goes to address them. And it's it's basically like a rebuke, like, you know, to use a biblical term, he's going to like lay down some prophetic ordinance here. Um, what do you think of him choosing to him being invited, first of all, him accepting, second of all, and then what he states in advance is going to be his his approach while he is there? 
Well, I think it's clever marketing by the WEF. Um, you know, a lot of people want to say um, things like, well, Elon is just, you know, controlled opposition or that Trump is or something to that effect mm -hmm. because he attended the World Economic Forum. Well, no, the World Economic Forum wants to give the impression that they really are listening to a broad spectrum of voices. And I would say to you that, no, what they're doing is um, they are trying to give you that impression, but it doesn't change change their agenda at all. So would they give would they give him a hearing? Would they give him a plenary session or a breakout session or time for a Q&A? Yeah, of course they would, but it won't change anything they're doing. Hmm. If he had called you and I, you know, I've met Kevin a couple times and what I've seen, I, we have a lot of mutual friends. So, you know, I like what I've seen thus far. But if he had called you and said, Larry, as someone who's got experience there, is this a worthwhile trip for me? Is there anything to be gained from Heritage? Likewise, if you think they're kind of using me, can I use them? I mean, can I say, hey, yeah, I went there and let them know what we think. You know, I mean, is there is there any advantage at all for him to represent us before this forum? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's important that I'm here. Uh, there are a few others, you know, who are doing what I'm doing. I'm doing it a little differently than they are um, insofar as I'm not going to the big sessions that you can watch online. I'm, I'm, I'm really going after those people who are just ordinary attenders and having the opportunity to see what it is that's going on in their heads. But yes, I would say that, that being here, he's really got nothing to lose. I just make sure he makes them pay for it because they can afford it. <laughs> Are we wrong about them in any way? Is there anything we've uh, taken out of context? Anything we have blown up? I mean, I, I joked a few minutes ago, this is like literally trying to usher in the kingdom of the Antichrist. Is that going too far? I mean, are we being unfair at all? Well, you know, I see a lot of misinformation about the WEF that floats around online. And um, I often tell people, look, um, you don't have to make up stuff about Klaus Schwab's, you know, parentage in order to say bad things about the WEF. I mean, it's uh, the, the real agenda is itself sinister enough without having to create different things. But listen, the World Economic Forum is very concerned about their image. And they, uh, they, they have a lot of people in media who they make sure put out very positive stories about them and do run all these absurd fact checks and things like that in order to, to run, um, you know, a, a kind of rear guard action so that they make sure that their agenda uh, is portrayed in a very, very positive light. But they are fundamentally anti-human. So, no, I, I, I think if, if you're seeing this as a kind of evil, uh, demonic activity, I would say, yes, <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> wow. So then I have described to our audience since Putin invaded Ukraine, and I didn't know much about Ukraine. I knew a little bit about it because they tried. What's that? Putin spoke today here at the Did West. he? Okay. Uh, I, I, I learned a little bit. I learned a little bit of, about its domestic politics because we had an impeachment over it, you know, but not just enough to be dangerous and hold a conversation. I didn't really study its history or anything of that nature until Putin invaded. And, and, we, and I could see the same drumbeats for this like we had for war with Syria and the Obama years and COVID and everything else. And, and my read of, uh, you know, I think Ukrainian people are trapped in a tragic situation. But by and large, uh, on, on, the, on the elevator level, this is essentially, in my view, it is a war uh, between competing uh, global hegemony interests. Putin ha well, has, has some, his own hegemony interests uh, in Ukraine. 
Uh, and then um, you have Klaus Schwab and George Soros. Ukraine is essentially a proxy state for those kinds of elements in Europe. And I've compared it to like a Habsburg dynasty urination match where two, two entities who both hate us and we don't like them are fighting each other. I don't want my kid dying in a war, you know, between dueling wings of the Habsburg dynasty. That's kind of the way that, that I view this. Am I right or wrong, do you think? Well, I would I would agree with your assessment, Steve. Listen, I've been in Ukraine and Russia um, many times and uh, long before this war. And uh, interestingly enough, this is what my exchange with former British Prime Minister Theresa May was about today, because she was talking about human trafficking and how the um, uh, Ukrainians who are fleeing uh, their own country are going to Poland, and once they get into Poland, they're being trafficked. And I, I pointed out to her, listen, um, I've written a book on Ukrainian history and human trafficking in Ukraine. <laughs> and um, let me tell you, they don't have to leave the country to be trafficked. I mean, Ukraine is arguably the most corrupt country in Europe. Wow. And it's taking place at a governmental level. I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about um, uh, members of the government who are themselves complicit. You're basically in, saying the war is an autocracy versus a thugocracy is essentially what you're you're saying. Well, uh, listen, I, I, I think this I, I think, uh, you know, Russia and Putin are corrupt, but we provoked this war. He made it very clear for more than a decade. Do not do not meddle in Ukraine. I will not allow Ukraine to become a member of the uh, a member of NATO mm -hmm. or the EU. And we knew that uh, the Russians have always seen Ukraine as vital to their survival. I mean, throughout their entire their, their whole history. And we provoked it. And mm -hmm. he did exactly what he said he was going to do. All right. I've got about a minute and a half here. What is the absolute holy cow that literally came out of the bowels of hell thing you've ever seen at the World Economic Forum before? You know, Steve, um, you know, sometime maybe you'll, you'll, you'll join me here. We'll, we'll come here together and we'll- Gosh, uh, we'll I hope not. <laughs> but go we'll, ahead. <laughs> we'll infiltrate we'll we'll some of these meetings, but, you know, moving among the, uh, you know, the attendees at restaurants and coffee shops and hotel lobbies and this kind of thing, people just assume you're, you're a weffer like they are. And the result is that they speak very freely about the WEF agenda. And again, a core aspect of the WEF agenda, I don't mean everybody who attends it thinks like this or is even really aware of it, but it is depopulation. It is depopulation, and they try to keep that bit quiet and not say too much about it. But let me let me give your audience this little clue: the word forty seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, the word sustainability is freighted with nothing good. When you hear that word, what comes next is always bad. Wow, Larry, uh, you got to follow Larry by the way while he's there. If you're on X or Twitter at Larry Taunton, T A U N T O N. It is uh, good to have you back, brother, and uh, better you than me, man. I, I, better you than you're like mainlining the the bowels of hell there in Davos. I, I only have to sit here and get the the gleanings further downstream. So better you than me. Be safe. All right. Take care. Listen, Steve. Thanks for having me. You take care. You bet. Any quick thoughts on uh, that conversation from Davos? Yeah, does he even Steve Dacebro when he said maybe someday you'll be here with me? There is like he will host CPAC a couple of times before yes. that happens. Yeah. If 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 I won't get the passport out for like uh Rome and I'm and I'm 
Uh, my hand is shaking about doing it for Israel. I sure as heck am not doing it for Davos. No. Aaron, you have any thoughts? I wish that uh, <laughs> I wish that he had five minutes to expand upon his final point about sustainability. The word sustainability. Uh, because that's incredibly important, what he what he said. And to put a finer point on it, if you hear a term like sustainable farming coming from these types of people, that means mass starvation. Yeah. Mass starvation. Okay. These people are deadly, deadly, and I use that word on, on purpose, serious about the uh, climate crazy agenda. Right on the money. All right. Now we will pour into the Iowa caucus results and break them down next when we come back. Back here with Hour 2, live and on demand, right here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Alongside Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, I am Steve Dace. If you want to let us know what you think about what we think, please feel free to email the show. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Gitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you listen to the podcast, thank you very much. We appreciate you for that. Please, if you wouldn't mind and appreciate us, of course, don't, you know, don't lie. But if you do appreciate the show, please leave us a five-star review. Thank you to all of you that have done that for us already. We appreciate each and every one of you. And if you want to make sure you get a new episode of uh, this podcast every time we produce one, uh, subscribe or on iTunes, follow. That way, every time we do a new show, it shows up in your feed every single time. Uh, This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Magic Spoon. Uh, They are trying to help you hit your New Year's goals. More protein, less sugar. With delicious and high quality Magic Spoon that has reinvented your favorite childhood cereals to great taste. But each serving contains zero grams of sugar, just 13, thirteen to 14 grams of protein and just four to five grams of net carbs per serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free. You know, a lot of times you think that means taste free, but it's not. I tried the peanut butter, for example, and I thought it was outstanding. Just 140 calories a serving. Uh, and there's plenty of options. I mentioned the peanut butter. There's fruity, frosted, blueberry muffin, uh, honey nut, cocoa. Uh, you can also get the Magic Spoon treats. Uh, their marshmallow treats uh, are marshmallow and chocolatey peanut butter. Uh, those have just one gram of sugar and one to two grams of net carbs. And they're packed with 11 grams of protein per bar. All right, so head to magicspoon.com slash dace and grab a custom bundle of their cereal and try the magic for yourself. And don't forget to add those delicious treats for the on the go as well. Uh, Use the promo code dace at checkout to save $5 off your order at magicspoon.com. That that magicspoon.com slash dace, magicspoon.com slash dace. 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. Save $5 off with the promo code DACE at magicspoon.com slash DACE. All right. I don't know how many times uh, we will do this this year. Um, It's conceivable. It may not happen again until, depending how the rest of the primary goes, till like the day after the election. But for now, anyway, we are going to go through the data from uh, the Iowa caucuses last night and give you give you a patented Daesh show deep dive on the data. Now, I 
I, I do this for two reasons. Number one, this is one of the few things in life I'm really good at. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. so that's one reason. Okay. Um, the other uh, is because I've always wanted our show to be a conduit for um, those of you who listen and watch to be smarter consumers and citizens about uh, how politics work and what you're told. Because much of what you're told is not how politics works. And that's on purpose. Whether it's corporate media who hates you and Fox media who wants to control you. Um, a lot of times you're not told realities of situations because if, if that reality were to become apparent, you would be empowered and therefore um, could defeat the, the side that corporate media is in favor of. And you can break free of the Overton window that uh, people like Fox News have um, as a millstone around your neck. So this isn't trivia. You know, we're not just, you know, hey, fun facts. I thought you might find this interesting. Uh, I, I look for things, I'm looking for data points and nuggets that I think are empowering for people to know. So I hope as we go through this conversation this hour, you will agree. Um, I, there's a lot of ways we could approach this. I decided to approach it by breaking it down according to the things that I was confident would happen heading into caucus night. I was, I was confident that turnout would be down. That was true. Check. I was confident that DeSantis would overperform his polling. That was true. Check. I was confident that Nikki Haley would not finish second. That was true. Check. And I was confident that Haley would be closer to Vivek than DeSantis. That did not happen. So that gets an X. All right. But three of the four things I was confident in did occur. But there are there are details within those four things that that I think need to be highlighted and discussed. That potentially, it's early, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, depending on whether it's your guy or not, Iowa either doesn't matter or the race has to end after Iowa. Have you guys ever noticed that over the years? You know, like 2016, Ted Cruz, yes. when Iowa doesn't matter. Uh, 2024, uh, they, and the whole process. We've, we've awarded 40 delegates. The whole thing should end. And maybe it should. I don't know. Todd, you think it should. For You have your reasons. I mean, I know DeSantis people that think you ought to get out. I know DeSantis people that want me to go all the way to the convention. I mean, it's just... You know, but it's just funny the, the, the way that that works based on whether we get the result or the outcome that we want. I'll let other people discuss and debate that. Um, as I said to Glenn this morning, who asked me about what I think DeSantis ought to do, my, my, my concern would be, um, and if, if I were advising him one-on-one, -on -one, you know, my advice would be, be meticulous about your, your favorables. I, I know that the, uh, the Trump Twitter grift core has this like mythology that they have destroyed Ron DeSantis. That's not true. His favorables have been very high all throughout this process. Um, and, and, and often as or even higher than Trump's, even in polls that he lost by 20 or 30 points. So there is, there is clearly a tolerance for, for Ron DeSantis competing with Trump for his voters by Trump voters by and large. I don't think that, to I don't think that tolerance will last forever. So I think you need to monitor that. You're 45 years old. You're not going anywhere. You know, the worst case scenario for you, if you're not the nominee, you just go back to Florida where you're taking ass and uh, kicking names to quote Guardians of the Galaxy, right? You're just doing that for another three years. But but you don't want to let this process permanently hinder your brand. So I, I would be following my favorables. And the minute that I saw 
that it's, it's not about what Trump thinks, it's about what the voters think. The minute I saw that the voters were now, all right, we, we played this out long enough, man, take a hint, right? Don't, that's where you, um, you know, need to, in my opinion, I'd, re, I'd, re, I'd re- reevaluate those things. But up until that point, if you see a path, if you're willing to, t- if you're willing to, if you're willing to take, uh, you know, more of the jabs, and you want to keep going, keep going. If you're where Todd is at, and you're like, you guys don't owe the country anything. You gave it your best shot, you know, and and try it again in the future. That's okay too. But if you do want to keep going, what I would be looking, make sure you follow your favorables. You you do not want to take on unnecessary water from this point forward. That's what I would be watching. Okay. So let's get into these details. Let's start with the uh, the turnout would be down. So, like I said at the top of the show, let me reiterate again. Um, dominant performance by the former president last night. Uh, he more than doubled the record for largest margin of victory in the history of the caucus, set by Bob Dole, 13 points. But that was not the year, actually, that Dole won the nomination, if you can believe that. That was the year that, uh, uh, that was 1988. He won Iowa by 13. Pat Robertson was second. And George Herbert Walker Bush was third. Okay. Um, and that's the only time a Republican that didn't finish in the top two in Iowa won the presidency was that year. Never happened before. Hasn't happened since. Um, so give the Trump team their flowers, man. They called their shot. They let you know it, you know? Um, I'm not a guy that likes to talk smack beforehand. I'm fine talking smack after the fact, you know, Trump's the guy that likes to talk smack before and after, you know, so make sure you back it up. They did. So tip of the cap, give them their flowers. We did that last hour. We'll do that again. All right. So I, I want to make sure that uh, we do that because this election ultimately isn't about winning the Iowa caucuses. It's ultimately about winning 294 days from today. And to that end, there are some concerns. Yes, I expect it turnout to be down. Um, until recently, there has been a, this has been a low energy cycle in Iowa. I told you guys all along how low the energy has been on the ground here this entire time. We also are having the worst winter weather I can imagine. I mean, it is four days. It was one degree when I drove in here today, guys, and it was like roll the windows down. There are still streets on my drive in here, residential areas, where I still had to use the four-wheel drive to get around. We're four days after this storm, you know? So I warned everybody that I thought that was going to hinder the in-person vote, and it did. But I will tell you that I never expected a 41% drop from 2016. That was our last contested Republican cycle. Never expected that. In fact, when you factor in that we have by far the most registered Republicans in the state of Iowa ever, not even close, by far we do, by almost 670 some odd thousand. I mean, this is the worst, in terms of turnout rate, it's the worst turnout rate in Iowa caucus history. And we've been doing this since 1976. I talked to a good buddy of mine, name a lot of you would know, smart guy. And I wish I would have thought about this when he mentioned it to me. And I didn't think about it until like 10 minutes ago. But because he read, he, he called me this morning and, and read through my analysis and we were going back and forth. And, um, and he mentioned to me, well, Steve, you got to keep in mind also only two campaigns really had a turn on operation. I mean, Nikki kind of did, but really it was just Trump and DeSantis. True. 
But in 1976, the first time we ever had this, there were only two candidates, Ford and Reagan, and the turnout rate was better than this. All right. This is not a good sign. Um, can it all be chalked up to weather? Perhaps. Um, but. And, and I'm hoping that it can all be chalked up to weather. I'm hoping that it can all be chalked up to weather. And, and because of the weather, my guy was going to win anyway. What's the point? So I'll stay home. Or my guy wasn't going to win, so what's the point? And I'll stay home. I, I hope that's the case. And if you know me well enough by now, you know that a but is coming, right? But it should. GOP turnout was noticeably down across the board all of last year in off-year and special elections. Remember I shared that stat with you guys sometime around Thanksgiving? Maybe it was Halloween, one of the holidays in the fall. And I, I shared with you guys, hey, I mean, looking at the numbers... Collectively, on average, Democrats are overperforming their demographic numbers by nine points in these special and off-year elections around the country. By nine points. Our base is not doing well. I mean, many of you did not write a book this year, I'm guessing. And you still almost sold as many books as Carrie Lake did. I mean, this idea that this is some kind of impenetrable brand, it's not. Not everybody, I think Donald Trump is an impenetrable brand, but the idea that everything around him and the people around him are, I mean, Donald Trump was, he got to keep in mind, keep this, this is something to remember, okay? And, and I'm going to do my best here. I'm not upset. I'm good. I'm where Aaron, I'm completely where you are. I wanted answers. I got them. I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm competitive like the next guy. You know, I don't want this to be sour grapes. So I'm, I'm doing my best to, I hope you guys can see this. I want to be as sincere about this as possible. Okay. But Donald Trump was an impenetrable brand before he ever ran for president. You have to keep this in mind. All right. Politics did not make Donald Trump an impenetrable brand. He became a thing in politics because he was already an impenetrable brand. This is, this was one of the most famous people in this world before he, he didn't need the presidency to become famous. And, and, you know, some of you who are his most ardent supporters make this point to me, and it's a really good one. And it's, it's the best case for the Trump era is that Trump doesn't need the presidency for fame, doesn't need it for money, had at all. In fact, if anything, he's sacrificing those things to be president, as you're seeing in a New York courtroom right now. There's a lot of truth to that, right? Yeah. That, that's your best argument. You guys should stick with that more often. Stay with that more often. That's the best argument you have, in my opinion. It's a good one. All right. So he was already an impenetrable brand. What, what we don't have, guys, is any evidence at all that that brand extends beyond him to other people. It's not that it can be franchised. We've, we have no evidence of this at all. For every J.D. Vance out there, and he's a very good senator, one of our best, there's, there's a graveyard of 10 or 15 other people that Trump endorsed that, that just got that lost. Okay, so there there is no evidence anywhere. That's why I mentioned the Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake book uh, sale thing. There's no evidence anywhere that Trump's brand is transferable. Doesn't exist. Well, Steve, Sarah Sanders is governor of Arkansas because she was uh, the White House spokeswoman. I'm sure it didn't hurt. Also didn't hurt that her real la- her first last name was Sarah Huckabee and her dad was governor for 10 years and left with like an 85% approval or something. Okay. So you see what I'm saying? There, there is no evidence that, that Trump is able to bestow the power of his brand 
to to others and and have it translate beyond him. And and you even see that with social media influencers who are so tied to Trump. The reason why they're so adamant, hey, stay loyal, DeSantis can't run, now Vivek's not loyal, gotta go, is because they know, they're not sure that they can, that many of them are not sure they can stand on their own two feet without Trump. They need him too. So there, there is no evidence, we have no proof of concept that, there, that, that, that the potency of Trump's brand politically is a transferable franchise. He was already his own potent brand. And we saw this last year in these off-year special elections. Places like Franklin, Tennessee, where people just ran as, I'm an extension of Trump, and they lost by 60 points in a Republican suburb in a red state. So that's why I'm concerned. I, I also do not know of any cycle where a party experienced diminished turnout in a primary that was contested and then was successful in a general election. I, I've never heard of that ever happening, ever. Doesn't mean it won't happen here, but it's not normal your, normally your path to victory. It's not normally your path to victory that, uh, well, a bunch of people that normally participate in our primaries are not doing that now, but they'll all show up in November. Okay, they might. I don't know. It's possible. We've never had a candidate with these kinds of leads. That is possible. I don't know. But, but I'm just, that's why I'm raising them. If, I, if, they, if they were certainties to me, I would just tell you, danger, Will Robertson. I don't know. You know, we'll get more game results. We'll find out. But... These are things I would be concerned about, especially in light of what we saw last year. Especially also because the biggest driver in depressed turnout in Iowa, this blew my mind when I saw this last night, evangelicals. This was the second lowest rate of turnout evangelicals were in the history of the Iowa caucus as the all-time lowest rate is 52%. That's right, folks. We've never had a caucus where evangelicals were not the majority of voters. This was close, 55%. We had a nine-point drop in turnout from in, from evangelicals from 2016 to last night. Can I ask a question about that? Yep. I uh, alluded earlier when I was talking about our meta approach to this that I thought, you know, some of this is pre-1980 moral majority. Some people just deciding that we are not of this world. It's time to just, and I, I understand that I have a question to ask now, how much, if anything, do you think that had to do with DeSantis being Catholic? None. I mean, given what we've seen from Santorum and stuff in the past, I think we need to ask, at least investigate that because I, you I, see what people say about me being Catholic. Yeah, but I, I but you're talking uh, again. I Twitter and that stuff's not world, the real world. But I, I think we need to ask. Okay, do I think do I think it had maybe cost him a point or two? Sure. Okay, but I mean, Rick Santorum won evangelicals here in 2012. I I I don't think that's the difference. I don't I don't I don't think that hurt Ron DeSantis enough to make a difference here. Well, no, it wasn't the deal breaker, yeah. but we're talking about evangelicals not not turning I, I, out. I, I think that there's, I do think there are some people that are just like, again, some of it is my guy was going to win anyway, so that's the point. Some of it is I'm, I'm just tired of the Trump drama. I can't do anymore. Some of it is there's fewer evangelicals. I mean, the church is dying in America. The country's dying, guys. It's that's, dying in real time. That's another right. important The point church is dying in real time. The church is dying in real time in America. Thus, America is dying in real time. 
Okay, so those are all factors. What the ratio for all three of those is, I have no idea. I think that would be much more of a factor if this was like a Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis head to head. And so now we have a Southern Baptist versus a Catholic. I think that's a who who largely have the same record or, or positions on the issues. Okay, and for example, if Ted Cruz had run against Ron DeSantis, but Ted had never held executive office and Ron had had, and they and they and they're both going to say virtually the same things about the same issues, but Ron had done things on those issues that Ted had not, and then Ted wipes him with evangelicals, then I think you could ask the question that you're talking about and saying, how much of that was, I'm just going to vote for a fellow evangelical no matter what the Catholic does. Okay, yeah. But in this race, I really don't think it was a factor. I don't. Um, I'm just going to tell you right now, no Republican, I don't care who you nominate, is winning a general election with a depressed evangelical voter base. Not happening. Well, if the church is in fact dying, then that's never going to happen. We're done here. I mean, this well, is like everything we talk about now. You should footnote with, because, oh, by the way, the church is dying. Yeah, because well, then the Republican Party's dead yeah. too. Because you are never going to be able. You, there, there is the sliver of people that want what Nikki Haley and Chris Sununu are selling outside of places right. like New Hampshire that are is is very thin. Okay, the, if if you want if if you want that, you're just going to vote Democrat, guys. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, well, I want, um, I want tranny surgeries with parental permission. No, 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 okay. Is there, is there a few points of people that think that way? Yeah. But not any critical mass that will get you. No. I mean, if, if, if you want to let kids get tranny surgeries, you're just, there's, there's no restrictions or anything in compromise. You're just going to vote Democrat guys, period. Immoral and religious people and no other. So yes. here we are. Yep. One more thing on the turnout. Trump only averaged 41% in Iowa's four largest counties. That was 10% lower than he ran statewide. Now, we don't have urban areas in Iowa, really. We have a couple, you know, but um, and urban areas get low turnout in Republican primaries and caucuses anyway, because those are Democrat areas. We have a lot of suburbs, though. And that's where you saw Trump again underperforming in suburbs. And suburban malaise has, pl- has plagued the Republican Party in the Trump years, the last several election cycles in a row. We've chronicled all those numbers, walked you through them. Um, now, in Iowa, it's not a big deal as much, even in a general, because we are still one of the few states where you can get a critical mass of rural voters to overcome that. You know, like Kim Reynolds, as much as dominant as her win was in 2022, she still lost Polk and Johnson counties, too. Okay, it's just what she did everywhere else. It didn't matter. Trump could do that here in a general election, too. So I would favor Trump to win Iowa as the Republican nominee, you know, even with this, you know, eh, performance in the suburbs. But this kind of critical mass exists not in Georgia, not in Pennsylvania, not in Arizona, not in Michigan, not in Wisconsin, not in North Carolina. Not in Pennsylvania. The, 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 the states that are going to determine this thing 294 days from now, they don't have a critical mass of, of rurals that can compensate for, under, for a Republican underperforming in the suburbs. They just don't. Iowa is a place that does. Every other place that does is already a red state, and Iowa has become one. There are no swing states that are must-win states where you are going to compensate for underperforming in the suburbs with dominating rural voters. There's not enough of them there anymore. So... I'm concerned about that. And if you're on Team Trump right now, I know you don't want to hear this from me. So go tell go tell Mr. Trump you thought of it. Not that you heard it from me, because he probably doesn't hear it from me either. You tell him you thought of it. But say, hey, man, we got to have a plan here. We got to do better in the suburbs to win in November. You're going to have to do better than that. I think this is the most crucial point 
you can make other than, oh, by the way, the church is dying. Uh, this this is everything. And this is what I, when I talk about getting too comfortable, mm-hmm. th- there is an entire group of people now that they they just have not been hurt enough. Even even COVID, that you Netflix and chill. They have they have enough wealth. They have enough stuff. They yep. have enough associations. They just they aren't in, they aren't citizens in any meaningful sense. They just ride this thing out, and they'll go vote so they can put their sticker on when it's act the actual big election. Yep. But this stuff. It's beneath them. They and so they can yeah. do things like the guy makes me mad. I don't like yeah. what he says. Yes. He's a poop poster and I'm yeah. offended. Yeah. It's because the worst problem. thing that the worst thing so far that's going to happen to them is the rate of appreciation of their of their of their home will 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 decline while it still gains value. That's or that's the worst thing that'll you happen to them. You made this point that yeah, yeah, their their groceries are more expensive. They don't really care. It yeah. doesn't really deeply impact them. Yeah. I mean, I'm in this situation. I mean, if we had buy inflation four or five years ago, I mean, my, I'd be in trouble. I lived paycheck to paycheck until the last few years. And I had still had, I still had three kids at home that I had to feed. Now, two of my kids are grown and out of the house, and, and the show is more successful. So I don't live paycheck to paycheck anymore. Now I'm planning like retirements and how to invest money, you know? And so, yeah, it sucks to pay five bucks for a, 12 for a thing of eggs, but I can also just say that sucks, and then I just walk out of Costco and pay it. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. That's why the idea that there is some critical mass that you're going to reach these people with, that they're going to bypass what they think of you personally, we're not there yet. Things have to get a, things have to get a lot worse for that to happen, yeah. which means you've got to craft a message just for them. You're not going to get by on ignore everything about me you hate and because things are so bad. Things have to get like soup lines in these yes. neighborhoods for it to get that bad. You've got to find another way to connect with them and he struggles to do that. And he's going to him and his team if you're going to be the nominee, you have to figure that out 294 days from now or you're going to lose. Okay? You're going to lose. That's where the election is going to happen. Get you can get Putin like numbers in rural Pennsylvania if you want. They're going to kill you in the Philly and Pittsburgh suburbs, so it doesn't matter. Too many many more people live there. And don't give me we're going to win the black vote. Come on, guys. Oh, I got that last night. Oh, my God. Afterwards, a guy came up to me. Oh, he's doing great in the cities with the black. They, yeah, okay. I just said, sir, I... I you know, if I that guy thinks that doesn't... I, I'm talking serious. Chris LaCivita, who I'm told is a serious guy, you know, I'm talking to people like that, okay? I, Charlie Kirk, who I know and I like, and I know Charlie's a serious guy, I'm talking to people like him. You can tell him, hey, I, 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 I name-dropped him. I'm talking to folks like you. I know you're serious, this suburban performance will not win. It will not win 294 days from now. It won't. You're going to have to do better than that. Period. So let's figure it out now in January rather than 294 days from now. Fair? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I really don't want to sit here 295 days from now and say, remember when I told you 294 days ago, going to have to do better in the suburbs. Well, here we are again. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be doing that. Um. Let's talk about DeSantis when we come back because we're up against the clock. Uh, until then, uh, Patriot Mobile has been uh, a leader in the parallel economy for the last decade in America. Uh, they are America's only American wireless service provider. When I say only, trust me, I mean the only one. I mean, the reason I switched, we were with T-Mobile for nearly 20 years. And one day we got a text alert, SMS alert from the company. Hey, we're going to start uh, taking a look at misinformation and about COVID in your text. And man, we, uh, that reminds me, I freaking still forgot to call T-Mobile. I forgot to so Patriot Mobile for you. And I, I called Patriot Mobile right away and said, all right, fine. I'm not, I'm, now you guys are not just a partner on the show. I'm a customer. I got to get out of here. 
And ever since, they have done an absolutely fantastic job. You have the ability to access all the major carrier networks out there um, anytime you want for free, but not without funding uh, your enemies. You, you give the money to Patriot Mobile instead. Um, 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Keep your number, keep your phone, or you can upgrade. Switch those things if you want. Uh, their team will help you find the best plan that fits you and your family's needs. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve or call 972-PATRIOT. And if you use my name, uh, Steve, as your offer code, you'll get a free activation. Free activation with the offer code Steve when you go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve or call 972-PATRIOT, patriotmobile.com slash Steve or call 972-PATRIOT. Make sure to use the promo code Steve. Aaron, do you want to chime in here really quick on any of the turnout stuff I just mentioned before the break? I just, I'd say... Um, I, it's just my gut. I don't really have anything backing this up. The thing with evangelical turnout being diminished, I'd say that's less, maybe even though we have ample evidence of this across the country, it's less maybe uh, an all encompassing, um, uh, cause of the church being in decline. And I think it's more people either being resigned or given up on processes like this who maybe eight years ago uh, would have been more inclined to participate in a caucus. That's just my gut instinct of what went down, because I'll just tell you, even amongst my friend groups here in Iowa, there's always been for since the summer, there's always just been the man. Well, you know, uh, he's going to win anyway. So. What's the point of of it? It wasn't that explicit, but that's always kind of been the the, the timbre of conversations like this. So I, I think there was just a lot of uh, diminishment um, of maybe evangelical voters just for that alone and not necessarily an all encompassing um, kind of indictment of the church, if that makes sense. That's just, again, my feeling. I don't have necessarily anything to to, to back that up, but that's kind of what I see. I hope you're right. I do. But again, every time we'd had this talk last year about, well, why was our turnout down there? There was always an explanation. You know, every situation has its own explanation. You know what the one common theme, though, was? Our turnout was down. That, 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 there's always a reason, mm-hmm. you know, but the one thing that was common everywhere we looked last year and in the first vote we took this year is our turnout was down. That, I'm worried about that. We'll come back more in a moment. Hey, Blaze TV is debuting the second episode of our docu-series, Blaze Originals. Glenn Beck traveling to the quickly evolving county, that's county, of that's one way of putting it, of Liberty County, Texas, to give you the real story of a place called Colony Ridge. Now, this place is growing extremely fast, like 200 lots per week. The developer, John Harris, says, well, you know, maybe 35,000 people live here, but uh, the local officials are saying, hey, man, it's more than twice that. And if nothing new is done about it, there'll be hundreds of thousands of people living in Colony Ridge in just a couple of years. Now, why do you care? You're like, hey, isn't this what we want? Economic growth? Um, Almost all of them are um, Spanish-speaking non-citizens, illegal aliens. Another way of putting it. So that's a problem. 
And that's why we're following it with uh, Colony Ridge, the latest episode of our docuseries, Blaze Originals. If you want to support this kind of work, because it requires your support to make it happen, uh, a lot of you and your support that made this happen to keep this kind of work going. Uh, calling out the corruption, rooting it out, exposing it. Uh, subscribe now for $30 uh, for an annual subscription, $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. It's our biggest discount we can offer, $30 off by visiting blazeoriginals.com. That's originals with an S, blazeoriginals.com, and use the code Colony Ridge for $30 off your annual. All right, that's blazeoriginals.com. Use the promo code Colony Ridge. All right, let's get back into going uh, in-depth on uh, the data uh, from uh, from last night's Iowa caucuses and what we may or may not be able to glean from that. Let's talk about DeSantis. We predicted that DeSantis would overperform his polls. With about 98% of the precincts reporting, he has done that by about six points. By the way, hat tip to Trafalgar. They were cash money in 2016. 2020, eh, okay. 2022, not good. They nearly nailed the entire Iowa caucuses with their final poll. I mean, it was really close to getting it exactly right. So hat, hat tip to Trafalgar with that. Now, some fo- some polls, the final week of the caucuses had DeSantis as low as 13%. So while the talk of the 35,000 commitment cards, that did not come to fruition. That was probably also impacted somewhat by the weather. That organization did surpass expectations and, and, and finished second, like I predicted. However, moving forward, this is now going to be a different kind of race. This, is, this becomes a battle of messaging rather than meeting for mobilization. Uh, when I was with Newt in 2012, I've talked about this before, we, we, our campaign was, you know, hanging by a thread. And then out of nowhere, we won the South Carolina primary based on one incredible debate performance by Newt Gingrich, where for one night, he was 1995 Newt all over again and just was, was incredible. That's what has to happen now the rest of the way. Without Iowa now, you don't have an extended runway, meeting people, developing relationships. Um, You got to win up here now. And you're up against maybe the branding master of our era in Donald Trump. And he's greatly aided by a super PAC known as Fox News. All right. So you're going to have to beat him now in a battle of rapid response and messaging. DeSantis has, has shown he can destroy Newsom. And Haley, he can dissect her when they get one on one. When he gets one on one opportunities with them, he's not going to get that. Grant Trump's not going to grant him that. Okay, so DeSantis is going to have to use earned media, particularly national media, to challenge the front runner from here. And he's going to have to have more pointed national branding and advertising as well. Otherwise, he's going to get twenty percent in every state. That's why I said a while ago. I'd be watching your favorables because that means you're going to you got You took 20 percent of Trump's base away from him in, in Iowa. You got to take more. All right. If you're not hit Haley out, you'll get some of hers. But you, you, you got to take more of Trump's base away. That's going to require being more confrontational with Trump. And there is a point of diminishing returns. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Can you is it winnable? So therefore, go for it. And if it's not, it's not worth the hit to your political brand at that point. And I don't know the answer to that question, but we're at the point we're at this. This was a big debate on the DeSantis side all last year. OK, it was about, you know, what to do with Trump, how aggressive you could or could not get. Well, we're at the point of the race now where the only way forward is to do that. Unless there is another way. If DeSantis wanted to keep in the race and say, um, 
given all the variables of what Trump is facing legally, I'm staying in the race. So we have a candidate who represents us as a second option, because I think we all know if, if Trump were to be the nominee and then got knocked out one of these legal cases, the Democrats rolled jackpot and he had to drop out. Is Ronna McDaniel in the RNC giving us Vivek Ramaswamy or Donald or or Ron DeSantis or anybody that uh, the the GOP base or the Twitter Twitterati no. likes? No, no, you're getting Nikki Haley. That's why you said what you said last hour <laughs> that you think there's a reasonable chance she could be president yes. because you were forecasting out exactly what I'm talking about right now. Yes. All right. So that's another thing Ron DeSantis could do is just say, yeah, I know I'm getting 20, 25 percent in all these places, but I'm hang. But until we know that Trump is safe and secure as the nominee, I'm staying in the race to make sure that the base is represented. You could do that too, you know. But you if you could, want, it, but you'll become more toxic the more you make that publicly known because these these polls that say that sixty percent of Iowans don't believe that the twenty uh, twenty election was legitimate. Yep. You know they just resent anybody who that could be true. But those the exit polls also showed last night, even as Trumpy as that base of support was, like for example the Iowa poll ended up being pretty accurate for the first time. It was wrong about DeSantis, but right everywhere else. The next day, that same Iowa poll told us that only 48% of Iowa Republicans identify as MAGA. Well, if you look at last night's exit polls, 78% of the people who voted in the, in the caucuses identified as MAGA. That's a 30-point difference. So even with about as MAGA of an exit poll as you could possibly want, if you're Donald Trump, one-third of the voters said they would not vote for Trump if he was a convicted felon. If the number is one-third... With that turnout last night, what is it broadly? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. So that's something else to think about. A side note on DeSantis before we move on to Haley. Yeah, he was the only candidate to beat Trump in an age demo last night. He beat Trump with youngest voters, young adults, beat him soundly by 14 points, but they were just 10% of the electorate. Um, by the way, DeSantis' worst demo, can you guess what it was? You know. Boomers? Boomers, yeah. In fact, that's the only demo he didn't finish second to Trump in. He was third. Third. In de- Why? That's your Fox News correlated parlay. This reminds me of... Who does Fox News talk the most about? Trump. To, and then to a lesser degree, Haley. And who did Boomers vote for? Trump. And to a lesser degree, Haley. I had a conversation on correlated parlay. It's like a direct download. I just... I was During a break, I was texting with a guy, a, a, a great dude, a name many of you would know, buddy of mine. And he's like, I don't know about your your boomer thing with Trump. I said, actually, it's not a boomer thing with Trump. It's a boomer thing with Fox. I could have done this exact same thing to a lesser degree with McCain and Romney. Okay, whoever Fox talks the most about boomers vote for older voters vote for. Now, Trump is a more potent and powerful political brand. So that relationship is tighter and also more uh, broad uh, than it was with Romney or McCain. But fundamentally, it's the same thing. Whoever Fox News talks the most about, oldest voters vote for, period. End of sentence. Doesn't matter what they're for. That's all that matters. I'm telling you guys, as someone who's competed in primaries all over the country, I've just seen it a million times. Whoever Fox News talks about the most, oldest voters vote for. When, when DeSantis was leading polls against Donald Trump at the end of 2022, why was that happening? Because who was Fox News talking the most about at that time? Remember we sat there after the midterms and yeah. we were marveled that Fox was like for four days was a DeSantis super PAC about this was the red wave and the only place we could win, right? Mm-hmm. No coincidence. Oh, well, DeSantis is ahead now. Whatever Fox News wants, oldest voters will vote for. Now, we're running, th- those oldest voters are at the end of their race. 
and and the younger generations are not are not picking up Fox in, in this, at the same rate they were before. What that'll mean moving forward in, in 2028 and beyond, I don't know. But still for now, if, if you're on Fox the most, oldest voters vote for you, period. Doesn't matter who you are or what you believe. Doesn't Didn't matter, matter if your name was John McCain, Mitt Romney, or now Donald Trump. Same thing. When it comes to either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain, does anything in your experience embody that more than Fox News? No, I, I'm with you. It's a cancer. Yeah. Uh, honestly. Frankly, I, 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 we're better off without it. We are. We have enough independent ability like Blaze Originals we were just talking about. We don't need them anymore to get news out. Or, it, there was a time where yeah. we would put up with their, their foot on the, on the, you know, their, on the, on, you know, or thumb on the scale because overall we were able to get news out that the mainstream media would not cover. We don't need them to do that anymore. We have enough of our own outlets now on a digital side. We don't need that. All they so now all we get now from Fox is the thumb on the scale. Yep. We don't need, we don't get the benefit of of prying over open the Overton window, especially with Tucker not on there anymore. He was at least he was the last one still doing that. Now we just get thumb on the scale Fox. That's all we get. It, it it's a it's a complete loss leader. We'd be better off without it. Period. All right, let's go to Nikki Haley. I predicted she would not finish second. I got this right, but it was closer than I expected. Um, There were not quite the numbers of independents that we fear, or I'm sorry, non-Republicans and Democrats that we feared. In fact, they were down from 2016, but they overwhelmingly went for Haley in several categories. For example, she had a 34 to 8 advantage over DeSantis with non-Republicans. At my caucus site, Several people walked in that I have seen before, and I know for a fact are Democrats and Democrat operatives. And they all worked in wearing Nikki stuff, and they all switched their party registration. When I got up to speak for DeSantis, one of the, I said, hey, I like the fact that like our governor, Kim Reynolds, he reduced the Democratic Party to smoldering ash in Florida. And then I said, you guys will like this. I, I pointed to these people that were sitting at the table over there in front of the entire group. I pointed to them and said, like these people over here. I said, the reason why they're here tonight pretending to be for Nikki Haley is because our governor also reduced the Democratic Party to smoldering ash. So they have no choice but to vote for liberal Republicans now. I said that right to their faces. All right. Now that everybody laughed. But um, without those people, she's John Kasich. She represents without those people. She would have been were, were closer to Vivek. She would have fought to get out of double digits with those people. She got into the high teens. That's just not, I don't know how sustainable that is moving forward. You know, New Hampshire, maybe, because that's a, it's an open primary. But, you know, I, to me, she doesn't have a base in the Republican Party that you can build from to win, which. Um, don't you just feel we are about to have between with South Carolina, we're about to have a necromance moment. We couldn't just think about how we thought about Biden. Oh, it is it is very clear that the 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 corporatist wing of the Republican Party views her as the last best hope for them to to resurrect themselves. And so they are they're trying to use her as a tool to 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 necromance themselves for. I mean, I, I will tell you, I got a call today from someone very connected in Trump world. Longtime friend of mine, very concerned about Nikki Haley being Trump's running mate and that the conversation is real. To the point that we were actually discussing together who else that who else do we think that we could get Trump to say yes to, okay, just hypothetically, that um, our base that that actually represents our base. That's how serious he was worried about it, and it's January sixteenth, okay. Trump's empire is in peril. 
They are having cash flow problems as a family. They need a massive legal defense to beat all these uh, court ch- these court issues on the on the political side too. And and I promise you guys, if and when he becomes the presumptive nominee, all the people that aren't around right now, the Kushners and all that, they're all coming back. I promise you they are. They will all come back. And they're all going to be very much in favor of hearing what a Nikki Haley has to say, especially because she comes with a massive dowry. So I like what the MAGA movement people are trying to do right now, trying to kill Nikki Haley right now. You're wise to do so. Just, you know, I'd get more aggressive because in the end, usually money talks. Um, I, the one thing I was wrong about was Nikki being closer to Vivek than DeSantis. And, and it's what happened is there was talk on the ground here of like a mini surge with Vivek over that eminent domain deal. It just never really materialized. And he never really developed a base in Iowa. Never really happened. He was the first candidate here. Just never developed a base, despite the fact, you know, MAGA Twitter loved him. He followed their playbook to a T-man and went absolutely nowhere. And uh, and are you surprised with how how far he fell, though? I'm very I, I am surprised he was fourth among youngest voters. That surprised me. Yeah. Behind Nikki Haley with youngest voters. That blew my mind when I saw that last she's, night. She's a she. There you go. All right. So he that's why he's uh, he's dropped out. And now I guess you could say officially endorsed Trump. And we'll see if he can uh, earn his way uh, back into the good gr- graces of the Godfather over there because he is uh, persona non grata as we speak. All right. Those are my notes of what we saw last night. Um, I'll turn it over now to you guys here in the final four minutes. Thoughts. Aaron, I filibustered before, so you should take the lead on this. Yeah, I, I would say one, uh, one, uh, you know, obviously a lot of disappointing factoids in all of that, but I think it needs to be underscored once more. This is now a trend that we've been seeing and seeing for over a year now when you take into account the 2022 midterms, that energy is despite the large win overall energy in not left-wing America is down and continues to be down. Now, we can debate the cause of that, whether it's just the foregone conclusion uh, that Trump is going to win or whether it's uh, the, <laughs> the, um, the notion that I, I'm just done, I've given up on, on this process. Um, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing if you're heading into 2024 trying to take on the Democrats. And what should be, we thought this about Joe Biden in 2020, it should be even more apparent now that he should be an eminently beatable candidate in 2024 here in November. He should be. But when you have a base of people who have shown time and again that they're not energized for one reason or another, that should be sending alarm bells. And I'm not sure everyone here that we're talking about is a known quantity. I'm not sure how you change perceptions, change people's minds now with, uh, you know, about 10 months to go until the election. Todd? Yeah, we're dealing with a level of energy. You know, those pro-Palestinian protesters out of the White House. Pro-Hamas orcs. Yes, outside of the White House, 
protesting Joe, but th- th- that level of energy they'll, then they'll even if he's like literally in a wheelchair on oxygen they'll also still vote for him we're, we're dealing with cosmic evil here and we've got too many people too many normies of various stripes normie evangelicals normie comfort they're just they have all kinds of reasons for why they're not r- really citizens and they can just autopilot this thing And that's why it should be impossible for Joe Biden, again, to win. It's as possible as ever. Joe Biden can only win re-election if they steal it. Um, Let me rephrase that. Joe Biden can only legitimately win re-election if he's able to turn it around and make it a referendum on his opponent. Donald Trump is the one candidate that they believe they get away with doing that with. So it doesn't mean that they are going to get away with it again, but it does mean that the Trump team needs to anticipate this. And what concerns me is all last year, they they had opportunities to show they had a broader ability to message and present themselves and have so far chosen not to. So it's early still, but that still needs to happen. Romans 828. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.